and open your Bibles to Zechariah chapter 6. You'll find that on page 953 of the Church Bibles, page 953. In 2 Kings chapter 6, Elisha and his servant find themselves in the city of Dothan. And the Arameans surround the city. This is one of those great Sunday school stories. And they're trying to get Elisha. And his servant is very anxious. And his servant comes to Elisha and says, Oh my Lord, what shall we do? Because the city is surrounded by horses and chariots and an army to take them down. And Elisha says, Don't be afraid. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And then Elisha prayed. Do you remember that? And this was his prayer. Oh Lord, open his eyes so that he may see. And the text says the Lord opened his eyes and he looked and there he saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire surrounding the enemies. It's the enemies who need to be worried, not Elisha and the servant. Well, let's pray as we come to God's word. Oh Lord, Open our eyes that we may see. We ask this in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's read this portion of God's word, Zechariah chapter 6. And reading from verse 9 to 15. The word of the Lord came to me, that is to Zechariah. Take silver and gold from the exiles, Heldai, Tobijah, and Jediah, who have arrived from Babylon. Go the same day to the house of Josiah, son of Zephaniah. Take the silver and gold and make a crown and set it on the head of the high priest, Joshua, son of Jehozadak. Tell him this is what the Lord Almighty says. Here is the man whose name is the branch. And he will branch out from his place and build the temple of the Lord. It is he who will build the temple of the Lord. And he will be clothed with majesty and will sit and rule on his throne. And he will be a priest on his throne. And there will be harmony between the two. The crown will be given to Heldai, Tobijah, Jediah, and Hen, son of Zephaniah, as a memorial in the temple of the Lord. Those who are far away will come and help to build the temple of the Lord. And you will know that the Lord Almighty has sent me to you. This will happen if you diligently obey the Lord your God. This is God's word. Our section today really closes the first half of Zechariah's book. Uh, The first six chapters are largely taken up with these 
uh, eight visions that Zechariah received in one night in, on February the 15th, 519 BC, before Christ. And Zechariah's job, having seen these visions, really was to preach these visions to this people who had returned uh, to the land of Israel from being exiles in Babylon. And the main message, really, of all these visions is essentially repentance. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. You see, after many years of attempting to rebuild the temple, these returned exiles had basically given up. It had just got too hard. Opposition from hostile neighbors, living in a land with a broken economy, resources were limited, pessimism and negativity amongst God's people had set in, and big dreams had really turned into not much progress. And so God wanted to encourage this people, and he did so by sending uh, these two prophets, Haggai and Zechariah. And through these prophets, God called the people back to this task of rebuilding the temple. Really what these visions do is they help the people to see their situation, a bit like Elisha's servant, from God's perspective. To see the big vision of really what God was doing at their time. To open their eyes to something bigger than just what they saw with their physical eyes, which was actually quite discouraging. He wanted them to see how they were actually participating in the coming kingdom of God. That's how important their ministry was. And to crown off these visions, the Lord sends Zechariah to enact this very surprising coronation at the end of chapter 6. And I want us to look at three things this morning. Uh, the crown, the branch, and the temple. Just think about this crown in verses 9 to 11. Look at verse 10 again. Take silver and gold from the exiles, Heldai, Tobijah, and Jediah, who've arrived from Babylon. Now, it seems as if these men were representatives of the exiles back in Babylon. And they came to the land with gifts to aid the building of the temple. And Zechariah is instructed... Uh, to take their gift of gold and silver on the very day that they turn up and take it to the house of Josiah, son of Zephaniah. Now, who is Josiah? Uh, We don't really know. But he could well have been an artisan, maybe someone with a furnace, maybe someone with all the relevant tools needed because of what Zechariah is told to do there. Verse 11, take the silver and gold and make a crown. Probably a, a crown of gold and a crown of silver connected together make a crown and set it on the head of the high priest, Joshua, son of Jehozadak. Now, we, in our sort of ministry training, we, we've been encouraging each other to think about this question. Now, what's surprising here? Now, this is very surprising. High priests did not wear crowns. It, it was a turban that they wore. If anyone should have worn a crown, maybe Zerubbabel, the governor might have been a more likely candidate as their political governor, but he's nowhere to be seen in this event. Maybe he's away back reporting on his province. We don't know. He's just not the main focus of this, of this act. And what we've got here, I think, is like a prophetic drama. It's a symbolic act to get everyone's attention. See, Joshua didn't get to keep 
this crown, did he? As it says in verse 14, um, it was handed back to the uh, exiles uh, for them to place it as a memorial in the temple that was being rebuilt. Now, can you imagine the conversation when these, uh, these men returned back to, <clears throat> to Babylon? Those who would have <clears throat> involved in giving these gifts would have gathered around them and would have asked, well, how was the gift received? Uh, how's the work of rebuilding the temple getting on? And you can imagine Heldai saying, well, you know, do you want, your gift was really well received. They're very thankful for it. But it was so strange. It was so strange what happened. Zechariah the prophet met us and, and he turned it into a crown and he put it on the head of the high priest. The high priest, one of them said, yes, came back uh, to Baijia. It was the high priest. He put it on his head. What? Now, Tobijah goes on. We all know how important this temple rebuilding project is, but, but you know what? The Lord has revealed that the main event is not the temple. It's when he sends a new king, the Messiah. Jediah can't hold himself back, so he jumps into the conversation. And do you know what? Our gift, our crown, will sit in, the, in this temple waiting for God to, to raise up this king, this, this king just like King David, just, just as he said through Jeremiah the prophet. Do you remember what Jeremiah said? That he would raise up a righteous branch who would execute justice and righteousness in the land again and that we will be saved from the tyranny of our oppressors on that day? See, what is this crown about? This crown was a memorial to hope. And their hope was in the branch. And Zechariah, directed by the Lord, he just took the gifts of their wealth and he made it something that pointed people to their coming king. He, he, he made it something that would point to Jesus Christ. Now, what a powerful teaching moment this was. See, as they worked away in Babylon, where their treasure had been placed as a memorial back in the temple, constantly directed their hearts and their lives back to God's kingdom and to God's coming king. And isn't that exactly what Jesus taught his disciples? What he teaches us today? In Matthew 6, it says this, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And you see, one of the ways that our hearts are kept centered on God's kingdom is that we give of our finances and our wealth and our possessions to point people to God's king, to Jesus Christ. And this is one of the antidotes, isn't it, to materialism, to tithe our money and to give uh, to our church, to give to ministries that proclaim Christ and his kingdom as, as the only hope of salvation. And that's what the crown is about kind of plundering Babylon to point really to the new Jerusalem. But we've seen that really the crown's not the main event. The crown is about pointing to the branch. And that's my second point in verses 12 to 13. The branch. Look at verse 12 again. Tell them this is what the Lord Almighty says. Here is the man whose name is the branch. He'll branch out from his place and build the temple of the Lord. 
It is he who will build the temple of the Lord, and he will be clothed with majesty and will sit and rule on his throne. He will be a priest on his throne, and there will be harmony between the two. As I say, this name, the branch, was well known from Jeremiah the prophet. It was a term relating to the Messiah King. And when Zechariah said, here is the man whose name is the branch, he doesn't mean, of course, Joshua personally is the branch. Already in the, in the vision sections, back in chapter 3, verse 8, the message for Joshua the high priest was this, you are men symbolic of things to come. I will send my servant, the branch. And really, it is, it is Joshua in his role as high priest, as he stands there as high priest, that uh, Zechariah proclaims these words, here is the man whose name is the branch. In this prophetic drama enacted before them, God is revealing that this new king would also act as a high priest. And for hundreds of years, these roles have been separate, the king and the high priest. But this king would combine it to himself, into himself. And this, of course, is written 500 years before the coming of Jesus. And we see the prophet beginning to describe the one who would come to establish the kingdom of God. And and this acts as a pivot into the rest of the letter, uh, the rest of the book. As we're going to keep reading on, this is a book that's preparing us for the events of Easter. As it tells us more and more about this coming king. Now it's springtime, isn't it? And the garden centers have never been busier. Dobbies are rubbing their hands, um, selling lots of ice cream. And... uh, People are kind of going in there and buying new plants, seeds and soil. And people will pay for tiny little plants that barely look like anything, little seedlings. But if you plant them in the ground, what's going to happen? Well, if you tend them, they have the potential of growing into sizable plants, don't they? But the people who buy your house off you will chop down because they can't stand it. But they, they will grow into substantial things, maybe even to trees that will outlast you by hundreds of years who knows well there's another reason why this king is called the branch he would be a king that would have an unlikely origin with an unimpressive beginning like a seedling in a garden center but nevertheless the Lord Almighty had determined that he would branch out to become a glorious king and this branch this king would be the one who would build the ultimate temple of the Lord. This is different to the temple that they're engaged in building at that time. He's he's the one who's really going to build the temple. Uh, Temple building was a a job that kings did. Remember King David? He asked to build a house for the Lord. And the Lord says to him, No, actually, I'm going to build a house for you. I'm going to make a dynasty uh, out of your offspring. Uh, from your offspring, uh, there's going to be a, a kingdom that will be an everlasting kingdom. And, and it'll be your offspring that will really build the temple. And you kind of think, well, maybe is that Solomon? Because he built such a magnificent temple. But of course, it gets totally destroyed. Is it going to be this temple that they're building? Well, no. This king is coming. He's going to build the ultimate kingdom. This is the king. This is the temple that Jesus Christ came to build Jesus is the branch and I hope this is not a shock to you if you come here regularly Uh, the answer is Jesus he is the branch that's why we call him Jesus Christ the Messiah King and his resurrection from the dead which we're going to look forward to celebrating in a few weeks 
proclaims that he is this king that God promised to send. Uh, Jesus stood there once, didn't he, and said, destroy this temple and I will raise it up in three days. And, and he meant his own body. The temple was the place where God promised to especially dwell amongst his people. And this was supremely true of Jesus Christ. And so the Apostle Paul says this in Colossians. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. Meaning Jesus Christ. See, he is the ultimate temple. He's the meeting place between God and man. And the temple that Jesus came to build was not a physical temple in Jerusalem. But it was about coming to relationship with God through coming to know Him. As Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. This is exactly what the Apostle Peter put in his first letter. He says this, as you come to Him, as you come to Jesus Christ, the living stone rejected by men but chosen by God and precious to Him, you also like living stones are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So even today, as people turn to trust Jesus as their king, they will become like living stones that are joined with other Christians to form a worshiping community that has full access to God through the Lord Jesus Christ. And what is essential for us is to become members of God's household. And the thing that holds us back from that is that our many sins need to be forgiven. And that's what is so glorious about this declaration from Zechariah. This temple-building king, clothed in majesty, who will sit and rule on his throne, would also be a priest. Someone who can mediate between God and man. Someone who can atone for the sins of the people and bring them into right relationship with God. And this is exactly what the death of Jesus on the cross achieved. On a single day, he dealt with our problem of sin, didn't he? Colossians 1 goes on. It says this, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, in Jesus Christ, and through him to reconcile to himself all things whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood on the cross. Now we've begun to see the fulfillment of what was promised here, enacted by this, uh, this coronation event done by Zechariah here. But for the people back then, discouraged by their setbacks and the challenges of their time, this crown represented hope. This crown that had been put on the head of the high priest was handed back to them and they placed it as a memorial in the temple that was to be built to keep their eyes fixed on that temple. Some significant things are going to happen coming out of that temple, at that temple, if they keep their gaze upon it, for the king will come to that temple one day and claim his crown. And so can I ask you, is your hope set looking at this king? See, this whole event is to get, put their gaze upon God's promised king. And so it's my privilege to ask you today, are you setting your hope by gazing upon this king? Have you read the Gospels? Have you seen his authority as king? His authority over sickness, 
his authority over the devil, his authority over creation, his authority even over death itself. He taught with authority, didn't he? And he lived with integrity, his life always matching his words. Have you seen his compassion? Have you seen the compassion of King Jesus? Who, who could reach out and touch the untouchable people? Who had compassion for fallen men and women? Have you heard the stunning way that he could say these words? Your sins are forgiven. His humility. Have you seen the humility of this king? As he stooped down to wash the feet of his disciples. Have you seen the salvation he came to achieve? The way he purposefully gave himself over to a dodgy trial, to being beaten, to being whipped, to being mocked, to being crucified. You know, he is this glorious king that is promised, and yet he came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Have you come to see this king? Have you come to see that for yourself? Have you come and confessed your sins to God? Have you come to repent of them and, and turn to trust this priest king as your Savior and Lord, that his death fully pays for your sin? Have you come to trust him? depend upon him do you know of anyone else like King Jesus do you know of anyone else like him does what you are hoping in compare to him really can what you hope in can it forgive your sins can it remove your guilt can it give you hope in the face of death look to Jesus he offers all of this and so much more. And my Christian friends, who may be anxious today and troubled today, can I say to you, don't waver in your trust in this King, Priest, Jesus Christ. When you have such a King, when you have such a Priest, entrust yourself afresh to Him today for His care for his protection. And be in no doubt today that he is the perfect mediator who has paid for each and every one of your sins. Be in no doubt today you can be fully confident in him. He's able to sympathize with our weakness. He is able to forgive us for our many transgressions. And he, he is able to empower us, to sustain us, and keep us in his kingdom until we actually see him face to face in glory. Don't lose heart today. Put your hope afresh in Christ. Now, how do we know that our hope really is in Christ? Well, it is by the way that we engage in his temple building work. And that's my third point today, the temple in verses 14 to 15. Have a look at verse 15. Those who are far away will come and help to build the temple of the Lord. And you will know that the Lord Almighty has sent me to you. This will happen if you diligently obey the Lord your God. 
says these men returned back to Babylon with a message of hope from Zechariah to share with this exiled community. The evidence that they got it would be their assistance in this temple building project. Their active obedience in building the, the physical temple in their day would be evidence of their faith and hope in God's coming kingdom. And even as, they, uh, as the people engaged in, in building this temple and uh, worshipping at this temple, they knew by faith that they were participating in something much bigger that God was doing in the world. They were to participate in that temple awaiting this coming king. And although some lost faith, and when King Jesus came to claim his temple, he was rejected by the leaders and crucified. Not all had lost their hope, had they? Do you remember when Jesus was brought into the temple as a little baby? There was faithful Simeon. And uh, there was Anna, waiting for God to fulfill his promise of sending his branch. They knew that the action would be at the temple, and so they daily went to the temple, and they waited for the king to come. And there, as uh, Simeon holds the baby in his arms, he says these amazing words, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, uh, you now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation. As he looks at this baby, my eyes have seen your salvation which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. Those who were far away, you see, who would come to build this temple would not just be Jewish people, but the nations who would come and put their trust in Jesus their King. People like you and me. He's a light for revelation to Gentiles as well. And that's why I asked Andy to read from Ephesians 2 today. You know, this language of being far away will come, come near to build. Well, that, that's echoed in Ephesians 2, isn't it? But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. You are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and now members of God's household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, in Christ, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his Holy Spirit. The evidence that we see Jesus as our hope will be seen in the way that we engage in his temple building work today. Uh, participating in the life of Charlotte Chapel sometimes doesn't look that exciting. Getting ready to make tea and coffee, getting ready to uh, set up to teach Sunday school, getting involved with running the nursery, getting involved in... in uh, uh, teaching Sunday school to the kids, getting involved in leading a fellowship group, opening your home, uh, getting involved in working together for, um, pa- uh, for this Passion for Life week so other people can come to hear about Jesus. Some of these things can seem rather dull and mundane, can they not? But do you know what we're engaging in? We are participating in the coming kingdom of God. When we work in God's church, 
and reach out to a lost world with the gospel, we are showing that our hope is in Jesus Christ alone. As we're willing to engage in the boring and mundane activities of engaging in church life, we are saying in a profound way with the obedience of faith, Jesus is my hope. He's what I'm basing my life on. He's the only hope for this city. He's the only hope for this world as we engage in this gospel partnership together. Praying, inviting, bringing people to come and hear the, go- the, the gospel of our glorious King and Savior. My friends, there's so many great opportunities coming up with the Passion for Life Week. I wonder, have you put in your diary uh, a date to meet with your friend so that you can ask him to come to an event? or her to an event. Have you done that? It just involves some very mundane, simple steps, doesn't it? To book those things in. To invite guys to come to these uh, weeks where they can hear the gospel. Or on Sunday, we're going to have many baptisms on Easter Sunday. It'll be a great Sunday to invite folk to hear how the gospel's changing people's lives. But you know, they won't come unless we invite them. Oh, it's very mundane to invite people, isn't it? But you know what? As we do that, we're saying Jesus is our only hope. And we are participating in the coming kingdom of God. That's, that's all we're doing here, folks. We're participating in the coming kingdom of God that's going to transform the whole planet. That's all we're doing. We're just doing the most important thing that there is to do in life. That's, that's, that's all. Have we got that? Can we ask the Lord to open our eyes to really see what's going on here? Because that's really what's going on here. Let's pray. Almighty God, we thank you that you have begun to reveal to us something of the glory of your Son. Help us, Lord, to continue to abide in him and be fully satisfied in his kingship and priesthood that we would wholly give ourselves to his care and protection. Lord, give us full confidence in his finished work upon the cross that we would rely upon him wholly as our mediator and strive to glorify you with the whole of our life. Lord, please fill us with your Holy Spirit that we may speak this gospel with all boldness in this city empower us we pray and keep us in this hope until faith gives way to sight and we will see your son in all his glory and enter into his everlasting kingdom we ask this in his precious name Amen